I want to invite you to join me in John's Gospel. We'll continue where we picked up, or we'll pick up where we left off last week. In John chapter 15, uh, we'll look to verse uh, 18 through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. There, uh, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, this is, this is your word given to us by your Son. We ask that your Spirit would guide us in understanding, guide us in receiving, would turn our focus to you. And I pray that through the reading and preaching of your word that, that I might decrease that Jesus might increase in, in our lives, in our, in our worship, in our desires. Do this, we pray. In His name, amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and have hated both me and my father but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they, will do, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. You ever find yourself um, embarking on, on some new phase of life? Sometimes when we are standing there at, uh, at, at the doorstep of that, that new phase, we, we can feel anxiety coming over us. Maybe that anxiety comes because we're uncertain about the future. And, it, and at that point, as we, as we begin to venture out, we, we want a guide. We want that guide to 
Take us by the hand to lead us. We want that guide to give us some sense of the storyline that lies ahead of us. In the upper room, Jesus has been providing a storyline for us. And the the storyline that he's been providing thus far for the Christian life is, is one of abiding union in him. He's been telling us about this life as a Christian with him, a life to be marked by worship. But at this point in John 15, at this point in the upper room discourse, Jesus is transitioning his focus a bit. He's still talking about the life of worship, but but at this point he begins to tell the disciples and us what to expect out there. He's telling us what to expect out there in this world. And the message he has for the disciples and for us is that in this world, the storyline that you will experience will be one marked by conflict. It's not new. This has actually been the storyline of all of Scripture. If we look back to Genesis 3.15, we would see that, that the Lord has, has told us that uh, there will be two lines. The line of, of the woman and the line of the serpent. And the, there will be enmity between those two lines. Now, enmity is a word that means murderous hatred. Does that sound familiar from what we just read in this text Jesus is telling the disciples you will be hated he's telling the disciples they will even kill you when Jesus is telling the disciples and us here in the upper room discourse is not new and yet he's providing a new clarity to the storyline the line of the woman that we read about in Genesis 3.15, that is, that is the godly line, the, the spiritual offspring of the woman. It is those who are in Christ. What Jesus has been talking about in the past few chapters is he's been talking about our union in him. That's the line of the woman, but the line of the woman is pitted against the line of Satan. Here, it's the world. Now, in John's writing, both here in his gospel and his epistles, and even in Revelation, the world is word used to describe those, those individuals, those institutions, those orders that are living in, in active rebellion against God. They are living as rebels against the kingdom of God. Those two lines, in Genesis 3.15 and here in John 15, Jesus describes quite simply as, as you and they. To the disciples, he says, you. You are not of the world. You are not one of them, and they hate you because of it. Sometimes we talk about the old boys club. Here's the the thing. 
the old boys club does not have to refer to boys and it does not have to refer to people who are old. (laughs) The old boys club, as we often will speak of it, is referring to a group of people whose allegiance to one another is, is the most important thing to them and that allegiance to one another supersedes anything that might come, any thought they might have or any Uh, any moral distinction they might have. They cherish their own so much so that they reject all others who are not their own. The world might be the old boys club. And if you are in Christ, you are not one of them. That's what Jesus is saying here. And they hate you because of it. But he also tells us that they hate you because they hate Jesus. Some of us hear that and and we wonder, is that that worded a little too strongly? Does the the world really hate Jesus and and why do they hate Jesus? Well, the reality is uh, the world will often tolerate a version of Jesus that is a version of their own creation. The world will tolerate Jesus that they create in their own image, if they can define him as a kind, tolerant, gentle, moral teacher, but no more. And yet Jesus is more. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the King of kings. And to the world, both His truth and His grace stir up hate. Jesus is telling us that they will hate us if in Him we proclaim the true biblical Christ. Some of us understand that, that if we proclaim the true Christ, that they will hate us. But you might be surprised to hear that His grace will also stir up hate. Jesus came to save the world. But He was truthful in coming to save the world. He didn't change His message to make it more relevant, more palatable. And in his incarnation, we find one of the most offensive acts to the world. Because in the incarnation, the fact that God became man. John 1.14 puts it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the incarnation, we find this offensive statement that God makes. He says, you need help. You need help. And how many of us welcome help? Really? Yeah, we, we would like help for somebody to come clean our house or mow our grass. But then again, we start to wonder, are you telling me that I'm not doing a good job with the way I clean my house? You're not doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job with the way I mow my grass? We resist help, don't we? We're tempted to push that help aside because we don't want anyone to think that we are incapable. The world doesn't want help. The world wants affirmation. The world says, love me just as I am because who I am is just right. 
grace of Jesus Christ says, I love you where you are, but because I love you, I won't leave you where you are. Jesus loves us where we are, but He comes to transform us more and more into His image. That is radical grace. Radical grace says, I will come and help and transform. Radical grace is transforming grace. Jesus came to save because we needed saving. To transform us into His image because He loves us that much. By His grace. By His gracious coming. Jesus is making a declaration that we need help. And as John says in Chapter 7, verse 7, he's testifying that the works of the world are evil. If we are in Christ, we've embraced that need. If we are in Christ, we don't push him aside because he has come to help us. No, if we are in Christ, we have embraced our need of him. We have received his salvation. We have been and are being transformed into his image and the world will hate us for it. And sex, Jesus is preparing him. He's preparing us for this hate because they have hated him first. As he prepares us, he tells us that they will be judged. So let's talk, let's talk for a minute about what he's saying here. Because at first it can, it can seem a bit confusing. In verse 22, Jesus is saying that they rejected him because they rejected the word that he spoke. And because they rejected that word, they are now guilty of sin. In verse 24, he says that they rejected him. They rejected him because they rejected his works. Or maybe more specifically, they rejected the works that pointed to the truth that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And because they did so, they are now guilty of sin. So he's saying that to reject him is also to reject the fatherhood of of God. Importantly, he's drawing out the fact that the Jews wanted a God who was not his father. But there is no such God. To know God is to know him as father and to know him as father is to know him as God. To not know him as father is to not know God at all. Jesus draws that out for us here in verse 21. He says, they do not know him who sent me. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. And in 16.3, they have not known the father nor me. Jesus is drawing all that out. And so he says that they will be judged. This is very important. Because it protects us against arrogance actually we will all be judged we will all be judged because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God all will be judged because all have sinned but they by rejecting Jesus 
have cast out their only hope in the day of judgment. Jesus is not saying that they were not guilty of sin before he came. All are guilty. We are guilty. All are guilty. But they are guilty of a specific sin. They are guilty of the specific sin of rejecting the Redeemer. And why is this message so important? Why is Jesus telling the disciples that? Is he just, is he just trying to, to cast them out, to, to draw lines of hate? No. This message is so important for the disciples and us to hear because there is compassion in truthfulness. You want your doctor to be truthful. You don't want your doctor to tell you everything is fine when it's not. You go to the doctor to hear truth so that you can find the cure. Jesus is the truthful doctor who is showing his compassion by telling truth. But he's also giving truth to those who can point others to the cure. This week, one of our own had an emergency appendectomy. As I talked to him before his surgery, he made a statement to me. He said, I'm glad my wife made me go to the doctor. He needed someone to point him to truth. Or he would not have received that life-saving surgery. Jesus is telling us to be the friend who sends our friends to the doctor that we might find the cure. Jesus is telling the truth to Christians. It is his message to us, but with that message comes an exhortation that we are to bear witness to him. What should be our response to the hatred of the world? Not hatred in return, Not retreat from the world, but witness. Verses 26 and 27, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So how do we bear witness to a world that hates us? Well, ultimately, I believe Jesus is calling us to be different. I believe he's calling us to be different in, in at least two ways. First, he's, he's calling us to be different in the tone of our response. If we are of Jesus, then we will be like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to hate the world. He has told us explicitly in this gospel that he loves the world and he has come to save the world. It's a temptation for us to think that this storyline of conflict is a license to be contentious. We are to bear witness to the watching world. And we are to do so when we are different because we are in Christ. And when we respond to hate, with hate, we 
We capitulate to the world's standards. We are not to respond to hate with hate, but with love. With, with love and grace that does not sacrifice truth, but that stands strongly and beautifully for truth. It's the second way I believe that we are called to be different with the world is in the content of our life. We are to be different because we are distinctly Christian. When we lose our true identity as Christians, we then become like the world and we lose our witness. Jesus speaks of it in the Sermon on the Mount as salt that has lost its saltiness. Some of us do this because we think that the best way to reach others is to become like them, to, to make the message more relatable, more palatable. And we forego our distinctive Christianity. Others of us become like the world because we just want to fit in. But Jesus tells us to stand out as witnesses. Not as obnoxious advocates, but because we are Christ-like. Because we are abiding in union with Him. That's what He's been talking about in the chapters that have preceded this one. Some of us feel the hatred of the world in a variety of ways. But one of the ways in which many of us are feeling it is in a progressively aggressive, woke work culture. We feel the hatred of the world when we are pressured to define love in terms of the way that we affirm others and their choices rather than speaking the truth and love to them. We feel the hatred of the world when we are pressured to support and even advocate unbiblical policies. So what does it look like to bear witness to Christ in that setting? It's like a heart of humble holiness. A heart of humble holiness will speak truth and love, but will be also willing to suffer persecution. There is no pat answer that will suffice for this call. There are no three steps that will make it easier for us to understand. Jesus is calling us to a humble holiness will speak truth in love and will be willing to suffer the persecution that he is telling us here will indeed come. And so he tells us ahead of time, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Be different from the world and bear, Jesus, bear witness to Jesus and to the transforming power of the gospel. Friends, to be different, to bear witness, means more than winning arguments. It means showing Jesus. And praise the Lord, we are not alone in this calling. We're not alone in this journey, Jesus promises the Helper. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who will dwell in us and through us will bear witness. And so he tells us, he exhorts us, be steadfast. 
the first four verses of chapter 16, the concluding verses that we read this morning, that is their focus. I said that there's a transition in this text, that Jesus is preparing us for what we will encounter. It's football season. And oftentimes before the football team goes out on the field, the coach will give the the final pregame speech. There are varieties of pregame speeches, but there is one pregame speech that is probably the most frequently heard. (laughs) The coach will prepare the team for the adversity that they will experience at some point in the game. And the coach tells the team that they will at some point in that game experience adversity. And so he does that to tell them to be prepared and to persevere. Jesus is doing here. This is his pregame speech. The disciples are about to go out. And he's telling them and he's telling us the persecution will come. Don't be surprised. He said that the world defines love in terms of affirmation. One of the problems with prosperity teaching and the prosperity gospel is that it does the same. It makes the church world-like. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. It looks like a message that says Jesus doesn't want you to hurt. He will protect you from the hard. But truth-centered Christianity says Jesus was persecuted. And if you are in Christ, if you are living for Him, you will be as well. After all, the servant is not greater than the master. Jesus has told us that message earlier in the upper room discourse. He, he said it to us in chapter 13. There he, he said it as he was washing the disciples' feet. And in telling us then, he was, he was telling us that we, would, we should be humble servants. But here, here in chapter 15, he's calling us to be prepared for the persecution that we will experience because Jesus too has experienced it. Jesus is telling them and us in advance in order to keep them and us from falling away. It is his care for them and it is his ex- exhortation. Be steadfast in Christ. That is one of the ways in which we are to be like Christ. And so much of this text Jesus is drawing connections between the disciples' experience and his, between our experience and his. But in profound and important ways, Jesus was different. Verse 25, Jesus says, They hated me without cause. He connects to what he calls their law. It is his citation from Psalm 69. Verse 4, the ESV study Bible says quite simply that that psalm depicts the figure of a righteous sufferer who is zealous for God but is persecuted by God's enemies for no good reason. Psalm 69 was written by David. And on some level it captured David's experience in this world. But on another level it points to the truly righteous Suffer. 
to Jesus, who is hated without cause, but not without purpose. We opened by describing the storyline that Genesis 3.15 laid out for us. The two lines. The enmity between those two lines. The line of the woman and the line of the serpent. But Genesis 3.15 also points to the one who will come to win the victory. To the eventual offspring of the woman who would come, who has come. To crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 points to the storyline that will find its fulfillment in the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the hatred of the world is seen most clearly in sending Him to the cross. Yet the Father told us from the beginning that it was His will. All of it was His will that through their sin He might take ours. Friends, all will be judged because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that day of judgment, we will have no defense save one. Those who have rejected Christ in that day of judgment will stand based on their own merit, and they will fall short. But for those who are trusting in Jesus, those of us who are in Christ, we will stand not on our own merit, but on His. Because He has taken the wrath of God upon Himself for us. And in so doing, He has, as He says in this text, chosen us out of this world, that we might belong to Him. Yes, this passage sets up two lines. You and them. But those two lines are not meant to be pride-inducing. They are not an invitation for us to be obstinate, for we too were children of wrath. But God, of His great Mercy has chosen us to save us by His grace alone. Because of it, Jesus is calling us to a humble holiness, to be steadfast in Him, and to be His witness to a watching world. Let it be true of us. Father, this is Your Word. I pray that You would use it to prepare us, to shape us, to strengthen us, and to soften us for the help that we have in Christ, that we might be further transformed into His likeness, that we might be kept in His image. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name.